Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium, with me, Michael Seal. Today, I conduct a conversation with a Finnish conductor, who has held multiple title positions in his home country, as well as being a very successful composer. He's also known as being a highly regarded conducting teacher, and has been teaching at the Sibelius Academy in Helsinki since 1991. It's a great pleasure to welcome Atso Almila. Atso, it is wonderful to see you again, and I'm telling my listeners again because I first met you two weeks ago when I worked in Kuopio, which is where you live. How are you, sir? Are you well? I'm well, yes. It's been quite a lot of... I'm I'm doing um, parts for a composition we are performing here next uh, autumn, and I have to get them ready because because this house is going to be renovated. Mm. So the whole house, all the apartments, and we have to get everything out. And so, yeah, so you've got to do them at now. the cottage. Yeah, you've <laughs> got to do it now. Uh, well, we'll probably, well, I'm sure we will come on to composition later on. But I want to go right back to the beginning, Atso, and find out whether you came from a musical family, whether your parents were musical, and whether the trombone was the first instrument you played or whether you started on the piano. Well, how did music come into your childhood? So... If I reveal that I, I was always interested in brass instruments, I just loved them. Mm. There was a recording I was listening when I was two years old, and that was the Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White by, by Ernie Englund's Swedish band and the trumpet. Yeah. I loved it, yes. But so my grandfather was a very good amateur pianist. He was a ship planner and engineer and stuff yeah. like this, but but he played piano very well, and he had a, they had a lot of kids. My my mother was the oldest one of them, so they listened to very various kinds of music. Mm. So Stravinsky's Rite of Spring and not Rite of Spring, but but the Firebird. Yeah, I always listened to the Big Bang. And then I cried and left the room. And I wanted to hear it again and again and again and cried and left the room. Yeah. But I also listened to a lot of Paul Anka and uh, Harry Belafonte and such music. So growing up with these very young aunts and, and uh, uh, uncles was one surrounding. And my father, who was a journalist, loved also music so that we listened to we had these two concerts coming from radio every week tuesday and thursday they were the radio symphony orchestra and the helsinki philharmonic Mm. and we listened to all of them recordings and there was a piano at home and when i was six years old i got to my my first piano lessons Mm. so first i concentrated on the piano, but I was a bit lazy, so I left uh, when I was a teenager. And then I thought that mm, I will not be a musician after all. And then I found in a closet at the school, the trombone. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it came to save you, the trombone. <laughs> yeah, it came to, Yes, I tried a little bit with the, with the violin also. I took lessons, but I was really lazy. Hmm. Uh, and I did some composing also when I was young. I was interested and encouraged to this. My piano teacher said that, yes, you can bring me to 
88 bar long compositions and I played them in the school when I was seven and so on. Accepted and encouraged. But the school where I went to then uh, really after the preliminary stage, that was an experimental school. Oh. So we got really good possibilities to play in orchestra, sing in a choir and also try like acting on stage and all this. So it was good surroundings. Mm. And there I found a trombone and the school had an orchestra. And in the orchestra, there sat a girl I was interested in. So <laughs> I was really, I was really practicing hard, but I got also a good teacher. And then I understood that with this instrument, I probably get into the Sibelius Academy. Mm. And that happened in 72. Yeah. And and your school orchestra, I mean, you know, was that a place where already, I mean, because you're a trombonist, you're sitting there not doing very much and watching I, the conductor. Um, I, yes, I, yeah. I, had, I had played for a couple of months of the trombone and then I played the Coppelia. So it was real classical music we were playing. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a symphony orchestra. And were you interested in what the conductor was doing? At this stage, or were you still really concentrating on being yes, the best this trombonist? Is, this is sort of a. Uh, I have tried to figure out what was the real order of things. Mm. I went to the music camp, played trombone in a larger symphony orchestra, and then with the roommates and everything. I, Could you arrange for us this Burtbakarak piece or something like this? And we had a little jazzy playing, and, uh, and then I composed something small for the school orchestra. But I started to be interested in conducting my own music. Mm. The choir sang my Ave Maria and uh, the teacher let me conduct it. Mm. So it went like side by side with this composing thing, which was the way a couple of hundred years ago. Absolutely. And, and, yes, yeah. yes. and I've sp I know I've spoken to John Adams, um, uh, James McMillan, Sir George Benjamin, you know, often they would they would you know conducting their own music, um, and 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 that's that's how it is. Even people who've worked in film who've done arrangements for film or film scores, that you know they they say, well, we want to do your stuff, but there's nobody to conduct it. You better do it, and, and, and that's how so many people start. Yes, and uh, it works like both ways. That uh, with Yorma Panula, who was my teacher, and then later teaching myself, we have always asked the students, even though they are no composers, to write something small, mm. like a, a, maybe a Christmas arrangement or something, and then conduct that themselves. Because mm. there happens a magic, a magical thing. That if you're a young conductor and you conduct Brahms, you concentrate too much on the question me and Brahms, what am I in Brahms? What mm -hmm. am I giving to Brahms or Brahms to me? But when you work with your own writing, you just want to make it happen. Yes. And suddenly you understand how to do Brahms. Mm -hmm. very just true. to make it happen. Yeah. Like like, a, like the opening of the third symphony. If you don't have a proper technique, it's quite difficult for the orchestra. You can mess it up totally. Yeah. Yes. And the students have had possibilities like uh, 
trying that with the Radio Symphony Orchestra in Helsinki. And then they said, they wondered that this is such a good orchestra. Why can't I make it happen? Mm. They need your help. Yes. Like it would be your own composition. Mm. Just put it together practically. And then right. you can stop. Yeah, sorry, I'm going far away <laughs> from my youth. <laughs> no, it's fine because as you know, from our chat over a dinner and a few yes. beers a couple of weeks ago, we chatted for hours. So, you know, I'll happily chat with you. You've just mentioned him. Um, in 1972, you went to the Helsinki um, Sibelius Academy to study trombone and orchestral conducting with the great and still around, even now in, what is he, 93, 92 years old? 93 in August. Yeah, 93 in August, August. the great Jorma Panola. His name yes. has come up many times, as has yours, because I've spoken to people who've been taught by you. What okay. were those first experiences like with Jorma? And can no. you put your finger on how... On his teaching style, because some people have, have put their finger on it a bit, and others have gone, Well, actually, I'm not really sure how he does what he does, but he does it brilliantly. Yes, for many years, I was thinking of calling him the man without method, mm. but actually, there is a method. Yeah, he puts you in front of an orchestra and make them play, and if you have some troubles, we throw you some like life vest or something that yes. you get like, like throwing into water to swim. Mm. Let's see if you can swim. But uh, when I went to the academy, so I remember because I was not, I'm, I'm not pretty sure when I invented that I want to be a conductor or study conducting. Mm. So I have asked in the presentation for new students, the new headmaster, who, by the way, accepted big band music to enter the Sibelius Academy also. And Good. of course, I played, which meant that I learned much more from syncope than a normal symphony orchestra player mm -hmm. then. But um, I asked that how to become a conductor in this house. And Jorma had started right then, but he had been one year absent because he was conducting in Denmark, Aarhus, and he was coming back. And the headmaster explained that you have to also do the choir conducting studies. So I immediately went to the choir conducting class. Mm. And that that's like a big part of my work also. Yes, you've conducted four choirs, I've read. Yeah. Yes, and uh, one of the first works I pre was preparing with, with another, with a real conductor who conducted the piece, was The Dream of Gerontius, mm. which had never been played in Finland then. So I, I got in to this yeah. world very quickly. But so when I had asked about this conducting studies, so I first had to do a little bit this choir thing. And in 74, after playing already in the orchestra, the Sibelius Academy Orchestra, and under Jorma's conducting, which I loved, mm. it, I immediately understood what he meant. And there were many people who thought that he was too fast. So they didn't, I mean, they, playing in a symphony orchestra was not always so popular. Mm. You wanted to be a soloist. 
and then you had to be in the orchestra so you were a bit lazy and you didn't follow this man who said that the first beat goes to hell, the second beat goes to restaurant, the third beat goes to the parliament house and the fourth beat goes to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> this is how he taught us these patterns. So I phoned him and I asked that, would it be possible? I mean, nowadays, there are like 70 applicants and mm. you choose from the videos and stuff. But that was, the, I just phoned it here. And yeah, what time have you been reading? And I said, uh, the right of spring. No, how does it go? Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, I, I have figured out how to beat it. Which was told out bull. But uh, <laughs> so... so I had drawn little triangles everywhere. Yes. And and so he invited me to the tests in 74 May. And I remember Beethoven's fourth, which I love. Mm. One of my favorites of the and the little orchestra. And he accepted me. And then it started. Mm. The best mm. best years of my studies. Well, it's, it's like you say, it's no different these days. You know, I work in the Conservatory in Birmingham and I've also conducted the Royal College and the Royal Conservatory in Scotland. There are still people who don't like playing in symphony orchestra uh, who think they're going to be soloists or quartet players. But you have to try and capture them somehow and say that all anything I'm telling you, these skills are transferable into your quartet or your trio or, in, or into your life as a soloist. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like... Uh, uh, if you start to think about the orchestra music as a big size chamber music, mm. you are already much nearer to the core, what is actually happening in the composer's mind when writing. There's a good example, I think, that uh, if you think of the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, which is basically the same size of instrumentation as is Schubert's four. Mm. Uh, Otherwise, a symphonietta, but having four horns instead of two horns. Mm. So Tchaikovsky loved Mozart. And I think that lots of the performances of the symphonies are too, like, heavy and romantic, too slow tempo. He had good uh, metronome markings for the fifth symphony. And if you take them as he wrote and add nothing extra, Mm. So they become the symphonies become much lighter and more intimate and like a different kind of light. It's very true. shown to the pieces. Mm. It's very so true. I, I I think that we can always try to. Uh, there, there's another example of Pablo Barilund. You remember the name? I played for him many times and loved playing. For yes, him. and. The last series of the Sibelius symphonies he did with the European Chamber Orchestra, pretty much the size of orchestra that Sibelius himself had, mm. about 50, 60 players, like the Kuopi Orchestra, something like we call this middle romantic size. Mm. And I, I had the luxury of interviewing him. I interviewed all the living 
previous radio symphony orchestra conductors for radio orchestra's uh, celebration here. So I asked him first, why was he so keen on doubling the woodwind solos in big orchestras? And he just said to me, well, you know, if you put two people to play the same time, they, they play better in tune. <laughs> okay, he doubled a huge amount of solo. Mm. But then with this European Chamber Orchestra, I asked, did you try to get like nearer to the original size of the orchestra of Sibelius? I said, we couldn't get any more players, he said. <laughs> 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 they didn't have economics. Yes. But that, that's very appreciated. That's that's serious on his mm. symphonies. So how I, I'm guessing if you started with Yorma in 74 and you graduated in 79, that's five years of conducting lessons with Yorma. Actually, actually, it's not... Uh, I finished the extra subjects ah. in 79. So my diploma concert was in 77, Christmas. Ah. Yeah. And with a very original program, there was one modern Swedish piece one of my own compositions for brass instruments, and then a piece for choir and choir and orchestra by a Finnish composer, Nils Erik Fuchs, that was previously the radio orchestra chief, then already passed away, but uh, Jorma liked his music. Mm, mm. And he, he should be played more, this Nils yeah. Erik Fuchs. But so, I did this choir business all the time. So I had been appointed to chief conductor of the Sibelius Academy, great choir. Mm. So I took that choir to my diploma concert with the orchestra. And then I worked already as a teacher in the academy. Jorma asked me to give some lessons to composers in conducting and so on, and with the choirs. I also had the Sibelius Academy Chamber Choir then. So at the side, I was making some missing uh, subjects uh, so that I got the markings. And in 79, I got my papers out. And that's mm. a funny story mm. because at the same time, also Esapekka got his papers. Mm. And we are sitting side by side in the sixth floor of the old academy house because we had missed in the opening of our studies the form analysis uh, oral examination <laughs> so after all these studies we are waiting there for the lowest level examination and we are afraid because we knew the teacher <laughs> and he would be really don't you know we had forgotten everything and Esapet comment first. He came out after one minute and said, he asked me, what are the C major chord notes? Your <laughs> tones. I said, I told him. Then he said, okay. And he got out. And then <laughs> I went in. Yeah. And there was another guy. There was a Finnish conductor, Kari Tikka, who just recently passed away. Uh, but we knew each other. And he was sitting with his teacher. And now I, what's the pure fifth to see? 
And I said, gee, does the board want to hear something else? No, said the karitika. And then I got the papers. <laughs> and now the same time, karitika, the other member of the board, had been in my choir. Mm. Because also he was getting his papers, though he was a bit older than we. Mm. And I, besides, I'm five years older than Nesarekka. But, but uh, right two weeks or three weeks before he had asked me that he has missed so many choir rehearsals, but can I still sign the, his <laughs> study book? And said, of course. Of so course. he got his papers because I signed his yeah. studies. <laughs> and then he gave all you, the three of us yeah, gave you the, papers. Yeah, they gave you the easiest question you could possibly be asked to pass your oral exam. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned, the, you know, conducting choirs and between 75 and 95, if Wikipedia can be trusted, you basically were a conductor of four choirs. There's one, before I go on to conducting orchestras um, and the orchestras you've been conductor at, there is one uh, competition noted in there. The fact that you won, or you were the joint winner of the Nor Shopping Nordic Conducting Competition in 1982 um, yes. What, was that one of these competitions where you won some engagements around uh, Scandinavia in Finland and Sweden, or, or uh, you know, what what was the upshot no. of winning? And didn't uh, you didn't you share it with Jukapeka Saraste? Is that right? Yes, yes. So, so the if I remember correctly, first I went to the Malaco competition, mm. and I got the sixth prize because I messed up with with the violin concertos. Uh, there were uh, uh, Prokofiev one or two with with the Roman numbers, and I misread it, and I, I studied the wrong one. And uh, oops, <laughs> it, it was not the time of YouTube or anything, so no quick access no. to the uh, to the the correct one. Mm. And other things happened also in the Malaco. If I tell them sometimes that, that explains why I never conducted in Denmark. <laughs> it has something to do with Carlsberg beer. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, then came this Scandinavian competition, and Jorma wanted us to participate. There was Osmo Vanska. There was uh, we we were working at the National Theatre with an operetta with Esapetta and. Mm. We draw, drew sticks and uh, who would go to the competition and who would take care of the performances. I, and Esapekka sent me to the competition. And then we were with Jukka Pekka Osmo and another thing who was not Jorma's student. And Osmo was for some reason not advancing in the competition, was a little bit disappointed, but went immediately to Besançon and won that competition. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. All's well, all's well that but, ends well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So yeah. then uh, Jukka Pekka and me and two Danish guys, we were standing, there were four of us behind the door when the jury was making its decision and we were wondering what will happen. First, this one very nice Danish guy asks us, why is it so that so many good conductors come from Finland? Mm. 
he was very polite. And then Jukka Pekka said, we are not at all polite. We just say straightly how it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jukka Pekka thought that the winds liked me more. And I said that the strings liked you more. Jukka Pekka was a wonderful violin player. Mm. And then we hear the jury's decision. The first prize was shared in for three people because ah. they couldn't decide. And yeah. that poor fourth guy, Danish guy, he was very like <laughs> he didn't get anything. And we shared the first prize. And then a little bit uh, celebration and so on. Jorma was there. He was not, of course, a member of jury, but he followed the finals and he was so pissed off of this decision <laughs> that he gave us extra money to Jukka Pekka and me. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah. I started my trip home and one uh, the Finnish jury member was an older conductor uh, with, with a grey beard and uh, the power out and he said to me that personally I like the Jukka Pekka more than you, but now you must remember that you always present yourself as a winner of Nordchapping. Mm, yeah. First prize winner. But I was already working at the National Theatre, which was a drama theatre, not, not like opera. No. And only this trial of operetta, not even musicals. Mm. But I composed music there and I participated in the um, artistic boards and so and so it was almost 15 years a part of my life so I said no to agencies and I said I have I got my own telephone I can mm. organize the contacts I had also some family life and I didn't want to travel so much so so yes I did a few concerts in in, uh, in Sweden but they didn't lead to very much. I contacted Sweden later much more through some wind orchestras like the mm. Gothenburg Winds and then the Karlskrona, the Navy Orchestra. So not so much traveling and, and saying to the agents, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not so interested in this abroad businesses. So I did much more. I did much more in Finland. It's almost like you've read my little notebook that the listeners know that I have, because the after, I mean, there's a whole list of, of places that you've been chief conductor and they're all in Finland. And my next question, you know, I'll, li I'll list them now. You were chief in Tampere with the Philharmonic in Tampere for two years, seven years at the Joensuu City Orchestra, though I think you did that job twice. Um, uh, five years as music director of Kuopio Symphony Orchestra. Uh, you just mentioned the National Theatre of Finland and then two spells as the chief of the Finnish National Opera. And then my next question was going to be, why did you not want to travel? And you've, you've sort of mentioned it with your family and you know, having a family yes. life. And when we chatted two weeks ago, you said to me, you know, I, I, you know, I like my home life and I like the music of, in Finland where you live. I mean, 
Is it something you look back on and think, I think I did the right thing? I mean, I know that you're obviously, you've been teaching at the Sibelius Academy basically since the day you graduated on and off as well. So, yes, yes. You know, there and are then, ties to that. Like my career, working career, now I'm retired, but at the, at the everyday work, that yeah. ended taking care of the professorship. Yeah. So uh, I followed Jorma's footsteps and, and I was, for six years, I was, the, lead, the the professor of orchestra conducting an orchestra teaching also so mm. planning mm. the the whole orchestra life yeah. of, of yeah, the yeah. Sibelius Academy. But Tampere was Tampere was uh, the first orchestra to ask. Finland has been a country like those days, even now, where the orchestras have much more direct uh, like contact to the decision making. Mm. So it's not like we are the agencies and between the managers, but it's more like that the orchestra is choosing mm. Mm. who they want. And uh, and Tampere was asking that uh, would I come? And it was a short two year term, and there was a Romanian guy was pissed off that he was not chosen. He was the principal guest conductor and it all became quite a mess. And I mm. said that I won't continue, don't worry. And we parted as friends. And then I made there many, many operas and concerts. And so we have, we have been good friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I yeah. went back to the theater. Mm. I went back to the theater and worked for many years there. Yeah. still and this Jorns who was also like uh, I was at the academy I was I had been teaching and there was a group of players from Jorns who, who came uh, as a sort of a diplomatic yeah. <laughs> yes. group and they said that would I come to Jorns and be the chief conductor that was in 93 mm. And I did till 2000, and that was quite a period because uh, there were two times. Uh, there, there were three, three years, three years, and then an option of one year. And then we felt that maybe it's a time to change. And I had already then started also in Kuopio. Mm. The town, the, the towns are quite near each other. It's only yes. 130 kilometers, so it was very easy to travel if necessary. And in 96, in my life, a big change. I fell in love with, with the girl from Kuopio mm. and moved to Kuopio. And I've always lived in Helsinki. And now 27 years is coming in August that I moved to Kuopio. And I've never regretted this. Mm. Mm. So, Joensu then ended, then later they asked me that if I would be an artistic advisor again, and then would I be a principal conductor again? And then the problems between the orchestra and the, how would I say, the, the city of yours yes. was not taking good care of the orchestra and there was all kinds of things, uh, and I stepped down 
but I got this kind of a position as an, the honorary conductor. Mm. But then they did something so awkward. I, they, they sacked one player and I couldn't accept it. And, and I, I said, I'm not coming back because you sacked this player. And I was later because there was also went to the court and I was the witness for the player. Mm. So it, it's been a sad passage, but I had to, I had to raise my voice. I had to yeah. defend the player, and I miss that orchestra. Mm. It's like now impossible. Yes, but with the Kuopio happened something wonderful. I had stopped in two thousand, and then in two thousand and seven, the players came back to me and said. Would you come back like as a second conductor, mm. like a home conductor? Yes. I live on the other side of the street, so yeah. why not? Yes. So, <laughs> so since two thousand and seven, my name is all the time in the Kuopio list yes. as a second conductor, and then there is Jorma, the honorary conductor, mm. and now a new principal. Uh, conductor uh, Eugene Tsigain. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So this has become through these decades a very dear orchestra to me. And I was earlier very much against that. I, 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 I'm not going to play my own music in the orchestra that I conduct, but but they have asked me to conduct my also my own music. So perfect. You're very good at reading my next questions, even though you don't know what they are. Um, I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming that you have composed, I mean, four operas, as far as I could read on Wikipedia, various concertos, uh, symphonies, I believe. I'm assuming you composed all the way through your conducting career. So you've been, you know, pretty much a full-time professor and conducting uh, one or two orchestras at the same time as a music director in chief, and also composed at the same time. You said you've retired now. I'm assuming from conducting. Do you still teach? And I and I know from the, what the chat at the very beginning that you are still composing because you're doing the parts for a composition. Did they always oh, yes. run alongside each other? Were you always keeping yourself busy? They did. They did. Uh, at some point, some some years, some stages of their life, maybe not so many gigs all the time. Yeah, the Finnish orchestras. At the countryside, they don't do so many gigs as a big professional orchestra in Great Britain. So, so mm. it's like maybe the deal sign that you do. If you are chief, you do eight concerts per year. If you are principal guest conductor, maybe four concerts. And mm. when I was this honorary conductor of the Johansu Orchestra, I did two mm. concerts per year, and maybe something else. And and so. It, I've not been so busy as uh, all around traveling conductors and no. who still have an orchestra of their own. So there's been plenty of time also for composing. And the professorship started in 2013. But before that, I had already sort of stopped uh, the everyday rela relation to the Sibelius Academy. Mm. I had a job there earlier a permanent job but i didn't 
after a scholarship I got for, for, for composing a five-year state scholarship, mm. I didn't come back to the academy. I visited. I, I have all the time been there and teach uh, teaching there one week, one project or so. So, But then 2013, when Leif Segestan left, I was chosen as his successor. Mm. And it was first year, after first year, I actually had to apply for the job because there was lots of talk that too many invitation professors that you mm. have to really... Well, I got an extra year, like it was a five-year agreement, but it started only after the application. So, yeah. so I said already then that in 2019, I will be 66 years old. So I will then retire and they had good time to negotiate. And as yeah. we know, Sakari Oramo was interested. Yes. And now he's the professor and he cooperate quite a lot. Mm. So I still do gigs for the Sibelius Academy and I compose a lot. I compose both chamber music and orchestra music. Yeah. Basically yeah. what people ask me to do. Uh, I think... A... I, uh, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say, I think I would have enjoyed being one of your students based on the two chats that we had a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was <laughs> talking about the fact that I'd studied briefly with Yorma and, and I said, you know, don't, don't watch some of the things I do. And afterwards we chatted about some of the things I did technically, and you gave me some wonderful advice about how to conduct in one. And also rather complimentary about why I conducted in one, the reason, you know, because I'm a string player and how string players prepare the bow. Um, Mm. Your use of metaphor, you know, we've subsequently emailed each other and talked about, you know, string players conducting techniques and bowings and which string you should conduct on, which I thought was a brilliant metaphor. I think I would have enjoyed being one of your students. Um, it there, sounds like there are, there are a couple of masterclasses in summer if you're interested. <laughs> well i'd love to come and watch them frankly i mean oh. i really would because i you know i enjoy teaching myself um and i enjoy watching other teachers who who you know i respect uh, and you know having chatted to you greatly respected what you said because you picked up on it so quickly um was that always something that you've used a lot the metaphor um, you know, you're talking about conducting in one, but imagine hitting a bass drum with a soft beater, and it was a wonderful metaphor and, and picture, and really helped. You know, uh, because I don't remember Yorma very much talking in metaphors. I mean, I actually, would imagine the, it must come from you. Actually, the round beat is Yorma's idea, right? Yeah, that, that, that comes from him, but me adding like this, you know, what it should feel like exactly coming yeah. from that. that you always get advantage of your own instrument, even though the instruments are so different. So I might say to a student that who is a trombone player, that what does a crescendo look like with your trombone? Mm. And it looks like nothing. Yeah, You cannot see it. No. But, but with the trombone, you might be giving a cue to the guy sitting next to you if you are a leader. Yes. So, so you get always this kind of uh, what the concert master does uh, with the neck and uh, the, the violin, and then if people go very much like up and down, but don't notice it. So, thinking more like the bow movement uh, mm. on a string, you get this kind of uh, intensity or sort of 
there's lots of power in a slow speed. Yes, which is hard to get. Mm. I was, I was very tall, like uh, much over six feet, and only sixty four kilos. So mm. I was like a very like thin when I was young, and to get like this kind of uh, earth, yes, power of earth to this kind of uh, that, that demanded a lot, lots of thinking about mimics mm. uh, and. Maybe also that Jorma gave me often, could you give some basics to these guys? Would, mm. would you take care of these composers? Uh, would you come to teach with me to this masterclass and you can take care of those beginners? So I had to explain very carefully to the beginners about like uh, one thing that I don't think is being talked about enough is that when we talk about preparations that we want to prepare the beat how loud how fast uh, what character but we can also prepare with the rebound where you are going to be next mm. like like people of course in Mozart is that the, the first beat goes down you're beating in three, and then the second beat goes a bit to, to the right side if you're not left-handed. And then <laughs> then back and up. But if it's like something where you really need to show in slow tempo that you are going to beat to mm. the right side. So if you, of course, you take with the rebound, you take the speed from the left side. Mm. So, so that as a trombone player in the back row, of the cinema theater on the Saturday night, whatever. So, so sitting there and watching the conductor who is doing perfectly in three or four, changing all the time, maybe it's Shostakovich that we are playing. So if he uses the rebound direction to show where he's, I, I see immediately from the bottom of the first bit, if this goes in three mm. or in four, but if he bounces upwards and then moves his hand to the proper, I get the information a microsecond later. Yes. Yeah. yeah if it yeah. goes in four or three and mm. I'm counting bars. Mm. So th these kinds of things I started to figure out for the beginners. And now it seems that people are always interested about those. Mm. And then the other thing that is good from the trombone players view is that how well a conductor takes care of everyone in the mm. orchestra, not just the front desk players. So do I get the information I need from the conductor? Do I understand what he's doing next and if it involves me or not? Questions mm. like, or have I just taken an inhale and he stops? Because yes. he's a pianist. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. But, but when when talking about this, like how interested you are also in teaching. So there have been this with Yorma, maybe in the 80s, 90s. That we have had master classes together. Yes. And then there is a marvelous guy called Luke Dolma, who 
teaches in Adelaide. He's a violinist too, and he he was our student. Yeah, and he conduct he has conducted quite a lot in Europe and in, in Helsinki. They liked him very much. He phoned me one year and said, that, "Would you come to teach in the Czech Republic with me?" Bohuslav mm. Martin for four summers we had master classes together. Yes, so we first of all we divided the group. And then we changed places. Then we took care of the videos together, and then we had lesson had lessons together. So that's part of the idea that the conductor is not about me, mm. but it's more about making everything function. Absolutely, yeah. And I couldn't agree more. Getting these. Like, like I, I feel that what has been so nice with you after meeting only once and then now again is that we can talk about conducting as uh, almost like a giving advice to each other mm. would be okay. I remember many, many years ago when Esapekta was young, and there's one solution to one place in the Sibelius Fifth Symphony. And he said to me, I was actually playing trombone. It was our school orchestra, 100 year jubilee or something. And <laughs> I was playing trombone. He was conducting. And uh, yeah, I only put the trumpet to do this. But don't tell anybody. <laughs> and I thought, why not tell anybody? Why, why not? Yeah. Good, yeah, if yeah. there's a good trick. What, so, so this kind of sharing information is not so usual in some parts of the orchestra. Conductors, yeah. when they meet, they talk about good food and good wine, but maybe not so much. Um, now, I think it's changing, but previously, like about editions and stuff, yeah. and corrections and, and giving tricks, uh, tips to each other. It it was part of the reason why I start, I wanted to start this podcast to a degree was to yeah. point out that you know we don't just all fly around in business class eating in Michelin starred restaurants um, at all uh, and the fact is that we we all have to do the same thing we all have to study a score but actually by connecting with other conductors maybe we can give each other advice that yes. you know, in the past rarely happens and you after I haven't got the feeling occasionally that the information was being withheld I, I wasn't being told things yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I, like a, like, a, like it was a secret thing. yeah I'm, it, I'm, it, yeah i shouldn't be giving you my secrets i met but i remember the first time it, i ever it, had a lesson it, with zachary oromo yeah and i was and it well, part of the lesson was on the sibelius violin concerto he gave me some incredible tips because he said well this is what we always do in finland because of that yes, we think exactly. it's overbalanced and and they're the sort of things that I pass on to my students now. The things that I remember Berglund saying in rehearsals to us, and I, you know, I went home and jotted things down. And when I was playing in the orchestra, you just think, well, that's gold dust. Um, you know, <laughs> why why would you want to keep that from other people just because you, you know, you've learnt it or got it from somebody else? Pass it on. I mean, that's the whole point. Um, like you know, a... my people on my Patreon page and also my private pupils, I pass it on. I tell them you know, this, these are the sort of things that yeah. you should know. You know, and these are the sort of things that I know that orchestras like you to do, and these are the things that I know orchestras hate that you do. So don't mm. do it. You know, that's exactly. important. Yeah, and then important. there's like a when you mentioned the Sibelius Violin Concert, also also like. 
I think it's some balancing because it needs uh, yeah. some, some stuff needs to be heard, but but some of it is already written correctly. Yes, but it's not taken properly care of. It, it's right before the cadence of when when the orchestra vomits this. Yes. Mm. Oh, my dog was frightened. <laughs> <laughs> it's 15 years old. All right. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, this vomit yeah. has the brass starting from mezzo forte. Yeah. And then it has all the strings doing in fortissima. Which you never hear. No. And at some performances, I have added this possibility to add the second trumpet to do that. Nobody notices, but it comes a little bit more. And then just trying to, because of course, every conductor does a huge beat for that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Even that can be solved. Yes. Not beating (laughs) such a lot. And maybe taking it a bit slower so you hear that Mm. thing from the strings it's very true Uh, i have an 11th question at so which i i don't know whether i told you about and i wonder what your answer is going to be because i remember when i studied with yorma all those years ago, I think it was 2005 or 2006, uh, 2007, I've just looked at the poster on the wall. Um, he saw my scores and they were littered with red, blue and black markings, which okay, he, hated he, he hated it. Yeah. And the 11th question is this, when you come to learn a new score and you said you're retired, so let's go back a few years and imagine you've got a new score in front of you. Did you sit down and learn it with your inner ear and start at the beginning or go? did you go big to small? But the, the the question I always ask is about, you know, what markings do you do? You are red, blue and black or do you keep it very clean? And I'm assuming because you are, you know, one of Yorma's students, that your markings are very much less than maybe mine would be. It might be so. And then I, I only use a pencil, which is erasable. Yeah. And, and it has become such a technique that first I try to figure out a, Maybe we should be talking about modern music. Where yes. We cannot find a YouTube anything, but it's a first performance coming. So how to beat? Mm. So so that I know that there are no surprises. Some uh, editions are so that you don't see in the end of a page if it goes to three, the next page. Over the page, yes. Yeah. 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 So that my chart for the beatings, not 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 like lines for beating, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. All the numbers, I see them properly. Yes, that I want to do. And and uh, with the pencil marking, of course, the pencil marking is something that you remember better. Mm. It's why we should still keep in school, like writing with hand on yes. the mathematics lesson. Because then we would remember better. Motorists. Very true. Easy, makes it easy. But I try to leave them what surprises me. Like, what? Oh, I didn't notice that. That maybe the Puba had 
like ten minutes of not playing, and then the tuba is entering. So I might mark a little marker for me that remember the tuba. Yes. Yeah. 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 So as practical as I can. Practical things. And, yeah. uh, yes. And then then if there are some, um, of course, a score with where they, all the instruments are the same lines or all tune score. Then you don't have to mark so much the instruments, but the, the change is like the opening of the right of the spring. Then mm. I try to first just read and memorize as much as is possible, and then use as less markings as is as mm. is possible, so that I, I I have the feeling that I'm actually reading the the music and not my notes. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I understand. I understand this coloring system. If 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 it's logical, if you always like uh, color the trumpets with the same color, like that, that's a, very much a Russian system. They yeah. have this also this kind of um, angles or that they can see from far away. Oh, yes. yeah, that's the trumpets. There's an angle like this. So. Yeah, I mean, Just... I use I use three colors, and I always use them for the same thing. So anything to do with my hands, so whether it's speeding up, slowing down, or the number of the beats in the bar mm. is in red. Anything to do with articulations and dynamics is in blue. And anything practical, like you've just said, giving a cue for a, an instrument that's not played for 10 minutes or or a little note for for a pizzicato or something, I just use normal pencil. I always use the same colors for the same yeah. thing, so I can open my score, and I know... That you know, the red will pop off the page, the blue will pop off the page, and the and the black is there just for the little details that that I need. You know, um, yes. and as like you said, when I write these things in, it helps me remember the music. It helps me remember yes. the studying. And, and now that's, I, that's I it. would imagine that uh, first of all, you have to have your own scores because uh, yes, you do. You gotta, yeah, you gotta put colors to hired yeah. material. No, no, they no, I. Yeah, yeah. I, when I use higher material, I only use one color system, and and I I generally tend to lean, you know spend more time on it because I can't just resort to my blues and reds. Um, yeah, but yeah. then you know that that concert you came to two weeks ago that there was a jazz cello concerto in the second half by Misha Mullavabado, where I had I which had I the heard. decisions. Yes, which well, you heard. I had yeah. the decisions of how long certain things could be. And then there were other moments when the decision was taken by Matthew Barley, the soloist. And without my red and my notes in there, to it, it just helped me realize that this is my decision or his decision. Or it just yeah, helped it come yeah, off the page exactly. and pop off the yes. page. And yeah, yes. it helped, helped me guide my way through it. What would you do if an orchestral player spoke to you aggressively or tried to take over the rehearsal? How would you react if a soloist had a memory slip and needed your assistance? In recent weeks, I've started a new series on my Patreon page called What Would You Do In This Situation? where topics like these are discussed using real-life encounters. It started a lot of discussion and is proving hugely popular with my subscribers. Subscribing is very easy and you'll gain access to articles, tour diaries, over 30 hours of interviews and bonus mini-episodes, as well as much more. And if you subscribe annually, you'll get a discount and a further discount if you're a student. All of this can be found at patreon.com forward slash a mic on the podium. And from just £5 a month, you gain access to this ever-growing resource on conductors and conducting. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com.
Details and links to the page are in the show notes attached to this episode. Now, the all-important 10 questions with my guest, Atso Almila. Atso, it is time for the much-talked-about and much-fabled 10 questions, which every conductor has answered from the very first episode with Andrew Litton. And I always start with, what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate? I remember the summers of my youth and I must say that I love mild wind sounding in the tree leaves. Mm. Preferably there's water, lake water and sunshine, but the, the wind. Very finished sound, trees, also, water. Yes, yeah. and birds. Yeah. Birds. And then what I hate, when I was a child, I was afraid of big banks and, and like uh, I couldn't, I, I ran off if there was a revolver shown, a, a toy revolver. Oh, yeah, toy gun. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, steam engine. There was a railway near our home, home and steam engine. We this whistle. Yeah. When I was two years four to four years old. I just started to cry with mm. the noise. But then later I started to love the noise. But one I hate is the leaf blower. <laughs> you know that they yeah. oh, and then this breaking leaves sound that I like. Yeah. They are like hell machines, these oh. leaf blowers. I was <laughs> here I was here the other day learning a score. Um and marking up a score and and because it was a warm day and my studies at the top of the house I have a velux window just above me here which I open up mm. so I can let my cigarette smoke out and I can feel a bit of a breeze and somebody was jet washing their patio and they took four oh. four hours to do it the sound of a, of a of a sort of you know an electric motor running the jet washer I wanted to go up outside and just cut through the cable and just it, it must be clean by now stop it you know, mm. during the day, and leaf blowers are the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. And what a finish. Having been to the first time recently to Coopio, one of the joys was a, we had an hour's break. And in fact, it was slightly longer than that. And so close to that hall is a little place where you can go and sit right down by the water. You're quite yeah. near some trees. It's such a peaceful place. Um, yeah. absolutely beautiful so your answer doesn't surprise me and, and yeah I, <laughs> I was drawn to the water every day I was there I wanted to go and walk down to the water's edge either there or the other side of the city it's mm. such a such a beautiful beautiful place so yeah not surprised I hope now, to come again I hope so to too yeah. I hope so very much so um, and if I had 24 hours free I think I know what I would spend doing in it but if, if you had 24 hours away from home and I, I'm not sure how many of those you would have done because of the way you, you structured your career. But if you had 24 hours free, what would you spend it doing? This is like at the weekend, often. And, and I yeah. say that uh, I love spending time with friends, having a meal. Mm. I cooked for them myself. Yeah. After spending time in the local market hall and buying the stuff. And then I would maybe, if I'm still awake, end the day with a good book. Who would be your favourite conductor or conductors of yesteryear? It's like, um, uh, what's your favourite composer? It, it, it's like uh, impossible, of, of course, impossible to answer, but 
my very good memories are with Arvid Janssons, who was mm. Maris Janssons' father, because he visited our class several times, teaching Jorma, asked him to come. And he was so clear in what his ideas of motorics were, and intonation, the basic, the practical things. And we saw how the Finnish orchestras loved him. Yeah. It was just wonderful. He was never angry. Mm. And he got so much happening in just the smallest of movements. And then the other one, I never saw live, but I had the tickets for his concert. There was Yevgeny Maravinsky. Yes. Because the legend was that from the backside, you didn't see anything there. <laughs> he was working in front of him with small gestures yeah. and his eyes and face. And luckily, there are now YouTube videos of his rehearsals and stuff. Yes. And, but but uh, I must admit that they were also via Jorma Panola. Yes. Talked about these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell I me mentioned these two. Yeah. Uh, tell me because I'm interested. Um, because I, 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 when I studied with Yorma, I was on the same course with a conductor called Ken David Mazur, the son of Kurt Mazur. Yeah. And the first I time Ken, Ken David, I haven't up, seen him. Yes. Yeah, first time he stood up and conducted, all of us looked at each other and went, "My God, he's, he conducts exactly like his dad." Yeah. Did Maris conduct like Arvid? No. No. Uh, right. He he had the same. I, I never met him, but. Uh, I've seen these Oslo concerts and stuff, stuff, and I think that there's the same kindness, yeah, same positive attitude. But I also felt that he's moving like much more, right, with, with his hands than his father. His father, father was quite round, built quite rounder, so so he was as broad as he was high. Okay. And, and a long curly hair, light gray hair, and yeah, he was like um, a very tight package, right? And Maris was much more longer arms and everything, everything. not unclear, but 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 still moving much more. Because mm -hmm. Arvid Arvid Johnson said that if you remember what size of TVs were in the seventies, that everything you conduct should fit inside the TV screen. Yes, yeah, yeah. But all what you do, large movements and all, so you don't go overboard from no. the screen. But then he said that, but we have seen from the Finnish TV what kind of other movements people can make. And he talked about Okokamu and Leif Segerstam. Went behind their shoulders. Yes, yeah. Well, uh, as you said, TV sizes in the 1970s were a lot smaller than you see them now. I mean, mm. it reminds me of the Bolt, as Sir Adrian Bolt used to say, you know, you should only ever raise, raise your arms above your shoulders or to head height once per piece, if not once per concert, which, you know, that was the high point. Um, have, you, have, have you heard from Jorma what he told about his teacher? Right. was uh, Leo Funtek, who... who worked in the National Opera here. And he kept his left hand in his pocket. Right. And took it out 
from the pocket only once during the Bruckner symphony. So that meant that now we are approaching the climax. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very similar, isn't it? Um, I wonder, I know it's a very difficult question, and I've had people, one person famously refused to answer it, but I think that was for a different reason. And who would be your favourite current conductor or conductors? As you have said in this podcast, that we are not allowed to mention ourselves. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and that's actually philosophically a very interesting question because I myself, if I see videos of me conducting, I usually just want to take that guy to lessons and start with the basics again. <laughs> so I wouldn't choose myself. Well, that's not the reason why I put it on the question when I send the email. But, but I wonder... my God, Axel, I agree with you. I hate watching myself conduct. I and wonder... I would give I'd give myself such a telling off in a lesson. It's unbelievable. But the reason why I put it was uh, was partly as a joke, but also because there is this, you know, uh, th thing from orchestral players that if you'd ask that question to, to a conductor, they'd all answer themselves, uh, which is why I put it there. Um, <laughs> but it, but it, would, it would be really interesting to imagine who would mention themselves. Well, yeah, well exactly. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe not Lorin Marzel, but uh, around. <laughs> I'm sorry, rest in peace. Yeah, but but I I chose two guys who are over ninety years old. Mm. The first one is Yoroma, of course, because yeah. I started as a player in the orchestra, and I understood totally what he was doing. Yeah, and I learned so much from him, watching him conduct. And I have seen, of course, there were lots of times when he was fighting with the orchestras and there had not been good terms and opened his mouth to say mm -hmm. something which he had to apologize for later. But as an older conductor, he often visited also Kuopio. Yes. And many of the players said that, that that was the best Sibelius sport we had played, that it was because he's so just what is necessary, mm. nothing extra. And not losing orchestra's time. So, and then there is this very deep musicality in him. He knows what he wants. Mm. And then the other, that's Herbert Blumstedt. Yes. And that's partly because we have became, become acquainted because we have had this habit that when somebody like him visits Helsinki, we ask them to visit the conducting class yes. and teach. And what a man to share is, he, he was sitting in the cafeteria with the, the conducting students. They were going through editions and, and everybody had questions. And he was so fatherly nice to them and the orchestras. They really value this. Yeah. This love that he has. Maybe the hands are not so good anymore, but it doesn't matter. No. He's wonderful. Two brilliant choices. I'm, I'm not surprised about Jorma, obviously, but also Herbert Blomstedt's names come up quite a lot. Uh, I think for some people because of his longevity and how he's still very sprightly at the age of 95 or whatever he is. Um, but, you know, uh, he's uh, in, in uh, July, he will be 96. Yeah, yeah, and he's still, yeah. you know, I was saw pictures of him on social media only yesterday or the day before. Um, 
But yeah, two brilliant choices. And uh, yeah, absolutely wonderful. Number six, Atso, is what is the hardest work you've ever conducted? My answer is um, more like a, it's an experience of being younger mm. and facing the piece that I like very much for the first time with a, with a professional orchestra and me being a bit too unexperienced, the orchestra not so good. This was many decades ago, so the level of the orchestra was well, also yeah. so a little bit less here in Finland. And then the whole was artistically very difficult. Yeah. And my choice is, which is musically one of my absolute favorites, the second moment of Brahms' second symphony. Oh, and when you try to put that machine together without really knowing how, and you enter this world of beating two large beats and adding your back to that, and not showing actually the beat that they could follow, mm. so you feel that the orchestra is not doing this as I want because yeah. they cannot read what you're doing, mm. and it takes years before you understand that it was your fault and not their fault. Absolutely true. I When you said the second movement of Brahms 2, I... This big machine where people sit far, long ways from each other, so the, yeah. the, the, the distances, and if the hall is not supporting this... and. Yes, if it's a dry, a really dry hall and there's no blue in the sound, or I, mm. I nodded and I agreed and I shut my eyes and thought, my God, what a brilliant answer! Because, like you, I love Brahms too. I conducted it first with my amateur orchestra, the Symphony of Birmingham, about twenty concerts into my conducting career, and I've now conducted eight hundred and fifty-nine. I didn't I, conduct that symphony again because it burnt me for 20 years at so because I couldn't. I did, I wasn't good enough then. I think I can do it now. Um I, I think so too. But but thank you. That's very you kind. Yes. But when I started, my God, I did all the things you do. The beat was too big. I was throwing myself around into it. And I wasn't helping them at all. And I mm. came away. I also had a similar experience with Beethoven's Eroica, but I immediately thought, no, I yeah, can do that. Yeah. And I immediately did what the, you know, you fall off the bike, you get back on. I, had I did, a, with, with the Eroica, I got back on. With Brahms too, I thought, no, you wait is, until you're good enough. It's so I love, I love youth orchestra work. Yes, and, me and, too. And I had the luxury of being invited. A good friend invited me to the V. Wiener Jeunesse, so the Austrian youth. Yeah, in Vienna, yeah. yeah. And it was from second. And it happened in the concert house. Mm. And that sort of, that was then the other way around. Yes, then, yeah, there's a smile on your face. Then and the yeah, good exactly. memories and so on. Yeah. But, yeah. but there's a thing that, as a trombone player, it took me a while to understand from the Brahms Second Symphony what you understand as a violinist, that the scales that come in the end of the finale, yes, and then comes the high trombone, which should 
could be played by alto, but everybody plays with the tenor trombone. Mm. So to hit that, the that 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 that, and then there it was, and then you hear the violins go pop 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 pop. Even yeah. there's one more to come, but the trombones yes. are so. It's like the scales are over. No, everybody is playing one more. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> so and then and then and then the strings go off on their quicker scales. Afterwards, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's amazing. I, but the, yeah, I, any any uh, somebody starting out conducting, you want to find something hard to conduct. Conduct the second movement of Brahms too. Absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah, that's so hard. <laughs> Number seven, and as we've discussed, you didn't travel abroad too often. Not but, much, know, but. Uh... But still, you did. Yeah. I've, so, I've a couple of to... concerts in China and uh, yeah. So when you traveled abroad, well, when you traveled abroad, what item could you not leave home without? There, there is uh, again this. What was the end of the twenty-four days? Uh, twenty-four hours of free time. It's a mm. book. Yeah, and of course, sometimes now because uh, it's possible. I also accept that the book is downloaded into my phone, but it's still for me a book. It's still a book, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And if you have many books, they don't weigh no. too much in that form. But I still prefer a paper book if, if I can manage with the luggage. Number eight, real or fantasy, Atso, whichever you like. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? I would like to be. Uh, to have more possibilities to choose programs without economic hinders, without without like uh, people saying that we cannot do that, it's too large, we cannot do that because it's not selling to the audiences. So like having the possibility to do some more Simonovsky or the young Aldi Sullinen's first symphony, which is a marvelous piece, mm. stereophonic 20 minutes from year 72. Pieces like these, you you have to so much say that negotiate that if they fit the programs and so on, and, and the world is quite hard and there's not enough money for extra players and so So take these restrictions away and it would be really nice to make one year of programs like yes that. yeah i i i often you know when people say to you oh it must be you must be like a child in a sweet in a candy store you can choose anything you like and you go no you can't you know that's like no, you you, 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 often there are whole areas of the shop roped off because you're not allowed to go in there because you don't have uh, you, you can't lay your hands on six to eight horns. You can't have any more than three percussionists. We can't afford no. a harp that week. Or you think, well, actually, I would like to do this. This. Oh, well, we we can't sell those. Nobody's buying. Nobody's buying those candies. Nobody wants to come and buy that. You know, we'd love to. Yeah, go on. From the top uh, popular pieces, there's a list that. We had that. We had that. We just had this. We had exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And or, or yeah, or no, you can't do that because our music director's doing that next year. Or you yeah. know that uh, I remember one particular uh, time, uh, and I, I shall say the orchestra because uh, Stephen Maddock is uh, was the chief executive there for twenty six years, and he and I are good friends. And we sat down, and I I went through a list of pieces I'd like to conduct in my subscription concert, 
And, and there were many, many, many barriers because they, we just swapped from Sakari Oromo to Andres Nelsons, and Andres had come up with the first three years of programmes. We basically worked out there was only one symphony left of the popular repertoire of the entire okay. symphonic canon that I could conduct because everything else was linked to something the week before, the week after, else in that series, or two or three years' time, or a tour, or a recording. And I ended up doing Mendelssohn's Third Symphony, the Scottish. Uh, that was the only piece left that I could do. Luckily, it, luckily it, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful piece. And, and yes. <laughs> I, it was a great concert. We got really good reviews. But... Sometimes that's what it is. You know, you walk yeah. into a candy shop and think, yeah, oh, I can have yeah. anything. No, you can't. There's actually, there's only those two things over there you can do because of the situation. That That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Number nine. I have no <laughs> idea what your answer for number nine is going to be because you have been a successful teacher slash professor and a composer and a conductor. So what profession other than your own would you like to have attempted? My dream is to write a book for the next 10 years, a brick-sized thousand pages. <laughs> thing that I don't know how it go, it's going to end when I start to write. Yes. <laughs> and are we talking, are we talking a novel? Uh, yes, or a, yes, a novel, yes. Yeah. Well, nothing, nothing to do with memoirs. Yeah. Yeah, a yeah, crazy story. A crazy story. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, uh, and do you think one day you might start it or? I will name it. I I have an idea. I will name it Peter the Ant's coloring book. <laughs> and it will solve all the problems. <laughs> oh, wonderful! <laughs> but I love writing. I love writing. I write to newspapers and I I write short stories and all and presentations. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm not my, surprised. My father, my, my father was a novelist and, and also a disorderist, so it's part of my heritage. Yeah. I'm not I'm not surprised. When we met two weeks ago, the immediate connection I, I could put, and I hope you find this as a compliment when I first met you and then when we spoke over the two or three occasions we met, was I found you very similar to Pavo Berglund and the fact that you see you seem to have a love of language and a love <laughs> of use using words. Um, ah. uh, 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 Berglund, uh, uh, the, the favourite ones, and I've st I steal it on a regular basis. Is why you pizzicate so loudly? You know, it was you invent new words, and and I yeah. got the feeling with you that you love words, and you love you know, even though you know English is not your first language, but you love discovering words and talking about yeah. words, and yeah. and you will you will stop yourself and reform a sentence. Which I I found very much like Pavo, and so I'm not surprised that you like writing at all. There's another one from Leif Sergerstam, mm. which was that. How do we know when to stop? I will look at you stockingly. <laughs> <laughs> That's very this good. This is from the New Zealand page. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, having played. Yeah, having played for Leif, I, I can I, I can hear him saying it. Yeah, absolutely. Or I I want to see some pencils, some lead sacrificed on paper. So <laughs> mark this down. Yeah, <laughs> lead sacrificed. Oh, very good. Yeah. If the world were to end tonight, at so what would be your choice of final meal and drink? I have to think about this because first of all, I would, would I be so terrified that I couldn't eat or drink. Yes. Or maybe take some pills. <laughs> yeah. 
eat some beer. But but then uh, if I would be okay, I, like uh, I'm now soon seventy years old, mm. so it means that uh, in this age you start to think about accepting that there is not so much time left as there's behind, mm. and that uh, living comes a little bit more grumpy and so. But that, that doesn't matter. It's part of life. So if we would have family and friends together and have a lovely evening, I would love a cold seafood platter. Mm. A big, all the lobsters, oysters, everything, lemon, vinaigrette, and, and then good white wine and good company and lots of philosophical talk. Hmm. I think that would be a nice way to go. What a great choice. Um, absolutely. As you said, with great company, lots of philosophical chat, but fresh seafood, very simply done with a bit squeeze of lemon or a vinaigrette and a crisp white wine. Absolutely perfect. And And I know that the chat would be wonderful because, as I've said so often, I think we got on very well when we first met two weeks ago, and it's been wonderful to chat with you again for another 90 minutes today. So thank you for coming on the podcast, and I do hope to go back to Quapio soon, and and we'll sit down and chat some more. Thank you, Atso. And thank you, Michael. A mic on the podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal, with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat with an English conductor who started his musical career as a violinist, leading professional orchestras from a very young age. He's held title positions in Norway, Sweden, Greece and the United Kingdom, and is currently conductor laureate and artistic advisor of the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra in the United States. But until then, bye-bye. <laughs>